Thank you uh, for being here tonight. It's an honor to be back with you tonight. I always enjoy being with you on Wednesday night, especially as we uh, continue this uh, awesome series that we are in. If you've enjoyed this book of Revelation so far, uh, like, let me hear you give it a hand. A few of you, yeah, some of you. So I must confess, uh, I must be honest with you a little bit. You like honesty, right? Uh, yeah, most people do. Um, so that's understandable. But uh, when we started this series several months back, uh, I had a thought to myself. And, and I usually, as I do, I like to share my thoughts that I have with myself with other people. Because um, that's just how I am. And so I shared this thought. And here was the thought. I'm going to share it with you. Uh, this whole winter Bible study, the book of Revelation, it, it can be a little bit intimidating for some people, and especially for the teachers of that winter Bible study. And I was thinking specifically about uh, the fact that we are so blessed here at Champion Forest with some of the best teachers of God's Word that are, have ever walked the earth, right? Mm. They're not here tonight, um, but I won't tell them that you think so highly of them uh, and so in the, you know, in the process of thinking about this, we have some of the greatest teachers, and I just thought to myself, and as a, as a member of Champion Forest, not just a, a pastor here, how fortunate we are to have such good teachers, and, and that they can teach the Word the way they do in the book of Revelation. It can be so intimidating, and I just said, you know, it, I feel sort of bad, but not really, about some of those, you know, churches that don't necessarily have access to the teaching that we have here, you know, like if they had some kind of preacher that's never walked through the book of Revelation for. Maybe he's like 26 years old and he's still in seminary and he's never mastered this stuff yet and here I am. <laughs> Join me as we find our way through the book of Revelation. Chapter 8 is where we're going to be tonight. If you would open your Bible to Revelation chapter 8. Luckily for me, we have some of the greatest Bible teachers, and, and we have the Bible, God's Word, right in front of us, and so many resources, and, and God has, has really uh, revealed this to me, and I think that we're going to walk through this, and we're going to be just fine tonight, don't you worry. And if I say anything terrible, Pastor Ed is going to come get me off the stage, and so we are good to go. Since we're speaking on resurrection on Sunday in Revelation tonight, it reminded me of one of my uh, favorite stories of a Sunday school teacher, a Sunday school class. It, it wasn't my class, but uh, this Sunday school teacher gets up and he says, you know, boys and girls, is it true that I must sell all my possessions and give to the church in order to get in heaven? And the little boys and girls say, no, that's not the way you get in. He says, okay, well, maybe if I'm a really good person and I'm a, a nice, respectful person, I obey my parents, I clean my room, and the little boys and girls say, no, that's not the way you get in heaven. He says, okay, well, maybe, maybe if I do really good things for the poor and I do all these things that in the Bible, they're good things, and maybe if I do all of those, what do, I, do I get into heaven? And finally, one little boy raises his hand and says, I know how you get into heaven. The teacher looks at him and says, okay, tell me. He says, you got to be dead. <laughs> you got to be dead to get into heaven. Duh. And that's a little bit where I feel like we are tonight, that, that we're going to see in chapter 8 of Revelation that, that you got to be dead to get there. 
And if you're not, there's some things that are going to happen. And, and as we open this book tonight, as we look through all the things that are going to happen in the seventh seal, let's look back just a little bit to a couple weeks ago at Re- Revelation chapter 6. We found the sixth seal being broken. And, and then we, we had a little bit of a, a break, a little bit of a rest last week in chapter 7. And, and we learned about the 144,000. And the 12 tribes of Benjamin who are all, or of Israel that are all represented uh, in the, the throne, around the throne. And, and we learned about all of that. And now we move into chapter 8 and we're going to return to the seals. The seventh seal is where we're going to be tonight. And so as we open this seal, as we get, we're going to see what happens when this seal is open, uh, the seventh seal opening brings a few things. And I'm going to pick up in verse 1 of chapter 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So the first thing we're going to see from the seventh scroll scroll being opened is, or seal being opened is, an appropriate response to the holiness of God. An appropriate response to the holiness of God. Because if we look back just a few verses... I mean, just not even a full chapter before this in in Revelation 7, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from every all tribes, and peoples in all languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So just a few verses before, we have this great scene of worship and adoration before the throne. A great number of people, so many that that can't even be numbered, are all before the throne worshiping, praising, giving adoration. And we know that worship takes place in a a number of different ways. And so you can imagine the, the noise that must be involved with this worship. Everybody does their own thing. Everybody does their own version. But all of which are all being offered at the same time to God before the throne. And as we open the seventh seal, we see a a dramatic shift in the mood and maybe the volume level around the throne. There's a profound silence that overcomes everyone in the room, everyone around the throne for 30 minutes. I mean, silence is golden, but not too much silence, right? I can remember when I was a little kid uh, getting phone calls home from my teachers to my parents. And it was never because I was a bad kid. Got it? It was never because I was a bad kid. But the teachers would say something like, Jonathan's a great kid and he's, he's bright and he, he just really likes to talk. I can't stop talking for five seconds without Jonathan interjecting in. And it wasn't that I was trying to be rude or disrespectful, but I had some knowledge to add. You know, there's the teacher's teaching something, and I can probably think of something that needs to be added to whatever she's saying. It's not a bad thing. It's, I'm helping. That's how I saw it. But silence is a hard thing for a lot of us to, to deal with. Imagine yourself getting on an elevator. This just happened to Allie and I uh, last week. You, you're getting on the elevator, and you and the person you're with, Allie in this case, were having a conversation Another person gets on the same elevator with you having his own conversation with the person on the phone and immediately upon getting on the elevator, all stops. Have you ever noticed this? It's the most awkward thing and you just hope that two floors, three floors is all you got to deal with this because silence is hard for us to deal with. 
And yet, we find around the throne, a number so many that they can't count, goes from praising and shouting to silence. Because sometimes there's just no words. There are other times in life where we encounter something or we're around something, we're doing something that just leaves us speechless. There's all, no, all kinds of other examples, but uh, for, for context's sake, the Masters is beginning tomorrow at 7.45 a.m., just in case you were wondering. I will be watching. But there was a time in my life when we used to live in Augusta that I got to go to the course. And what you see on TV is beautiful and it's brilliant, but when you look at it, there's just no words. You just take in the beauty, the creation around you. There's just no words that truly do justice to what you're looking at. And so what we're going to see here from the breaking of this, this seal, this, uh, the, 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 the opening of the seventh seal, is that all these people go from shouting and cheering and worshiping to complete silence. Because there's just no words for 30 minutes. And so what I thought we'd do is practice this for a moment. And so what I would like to do, as awkward as this may be, but for 30 seconds, and I have a, a timer here, for 30 seconds, I just want us to be as still and as quiet and as silent as we possibly can. Are you ready? Go. breathe we made it I was difficult it was very difficult but can you imagine 30 minutes of that 30 minutes of that in the presence of a holy God it must have been an incredible scene it must have been something truly incredible to be a part of incredibly awkward but incredibly powerful and as we see here around the throne that we, we, we learn and we understand that there are more than one postures to take before a holy God. Sure, there is a time for clapping and shouting and singing, but there's also a time just to be still. And when God is about to reveal his right justice and right wrath, when he's about to pour it out over the earth, that might be a time to just be still. And be reverent and be in awe of who God is and what he's about to do. Because sometimes that's the only response that we can have. Now it certainly doesn't diminish the times that we are, we are exuberant about our worship. We're excited, we're loud, we're clapping, we're having a great time. It doesn't diminish those moments, but it does let us know that it's okay to be still. Psalm 46 tells us, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes it's just right to be silent. And that's what happens here as we open the seventh seal. We see this appropriate response to the holiness of God. And then we pick up in verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. 
these trumpets, uh, they're used throughout the Bible as a, as a signal or as a, a time of, of calling attention to whatever it may be. And generally speaking, a lot of the times it was at the start of something. It was the, to, to signify the beginning of. And these trumpets are given to these seven angels and these seven angels are going to blow these trumpets and that the, the, the sound of the trumpet, there's going to be some repercussions. It's going to start something. But before these trumpets are blown, before we see uh, what's going to happen after the first breath of the trumpet is blown, there's another pause that God uh, brings in. There's another reason, there's another uh, waiting for God to do what's coming next, what's inevitably coming next. Let me pick up in verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So just like the seventh seal being opened brings us... uh, the appropriate response before God, this brings us to a recognition of the power of prayer. Because God's about to do what he's going to do, and he knows what he's going to do, but he, he sees a, a moment, an opportunity to, to do something that, that is worthy of his time, worthy of this pause, this rest. So we see this second or, or additional angel come in, a, a addition to the seven. And some people would say this is just another ordinary angel, if there is such a thing. Others would say that this is a representation of Jesus because of the task that he is, he is he's giving, the task that he is doing. It's a representation of Jesus as our high priest. Either way, whether it's Jesus or, or whether it's another angel, either way, the task is the same. You see, this angel comes in and he's holding a golden censer, which is like a golden plate attached to some chains, and he carries it in. And and with this golden censer, there is uh, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints. So this golden censer takes us back to Old Testament times, and it allows us to see a little bit into the customs and the traditions of the Old Testament. See, on the Day of Atonement, the, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, but before he would do that, in, in an effort to cover himself or cover uh, the, the, the altar before he could, he could sprinkle the, the sacrificial blood, in order to cover himself, he would enter first with the incense. And the incense would burn and it would fill the room and, and it, would, it would basically be like the prayers of the people being, ra- being lifted to God. And these prayers being lifted to God are, are a sweet aroma. They're pleasant. They're pr- pleasurable. God enjoys the the smell of our prayers. And so this covering happens until he can do the sacrificial uh, sprinkling of the blood. And and this is is what happens there in the the, the Day of Atonement. And we can take that and we can look at what's happening in heaven. And and, and this angel brings the incense and the censer before God. And in this censer is filled with all the prayers of all the saints... You see, we talked a couple weeks ago about the, the, the prayers from the saints that were, God, give them what they deserve. Do what you're supposed to do. 
They deserve it. They've asked for it. Give it to them. But he waits. And now here we are picking that same story up. All the prayers of all the saints are being offered before God. And God takes in these prayers. And they're pleasing. See, he takes them in. And he covers himself. And then he puts them back into that censer. Because the power of prayer is outrageous in this moment. Think of it like, a, 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 uh, you know, the ATM, the tubes of the ATM. The, the prayers of all the saints have been shoved into that tube. And it shoots up the thing wherever it goes. And then God gets it and he takes in all the prayer and then he shoves them back into that tube and then he throws them at the earth. Because God is answering, he's receiving, he's taking in, and then he's, he's responding to the prayers that have been lifted up by all the saints. And so if you've ever prayed a prayer of, of God, this isn't fair. If you've ever prayed a prayer of, God, why would you do this to such a good person? If you've ever prayed a prayer of any kind, your prayer is included in that tube or that censer. Your prayer has been heard, it's been answered, it's been taken in. It provides the fuel for the destruction that God is about to pour out. So he throws this censer back down to the earth and it provides a, almost like a warning shot. Get ready because here it comes. I've heard your prayers, I've taken them in, I've, I've done what I needed to do to them. I appreciate your prayers. Now here we go. And he throws this golden censer filled with, with fire back down onto the earth and it brings peals of thunder and lightning and earthquakes signaling the beginning that God's wrath is about to be poured out. And so for us, we need to recognize that we need to pray. Prayer is one of the most important things that we have at our disposal at every moment of every day. And the power of prayer here is, is not just that we ask and that we get. Sometimes we diminish the power of prayer. We diminish the, 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 the authority that prayer has on our lives. And, and we, we ask God to do something for us. And when he doesn't, we get upset. Now, it's not wrong to ask God to do something for us. But we need to be, and we need to be praying that, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what these prayers are. We need to be praying that, that God would bring peace on earth, that his righteousness would fall. We need to pray for the church, that it would triumph. Because these prayers are being lifted up by the persecuted. The people who have been done wrong. Bad things have happened to these people and they've prayed about it. And these are the prayers that are being lifted up and God hears and he, he, he answers these prayers. And these prayers are important enough for God to, to take in. And to hit pause before the good stuff starts. Maybe not for the earth, but for God's people. And so as we look here, we're going to see that first the, the, the appropriate response to the holiness of God. Second, the thing that happens is, is the recognition of the power of prayer. And the third thing that happens as a result of the seventh seal being broken is the sounding of the trumpets. The sounding of the trumpets. And these trumpets are going to, like I said, announce this new wave of God's judgment on the earth. There's about to be something that's happening on the earth. 
that is going to be signified by these trumpets. As we're going to look here, there's, there's four trumpets in this chapter, and then it continues into the next chapter. So we're going to cover these four tonight and the next three next week. Uh, but verse 6 of chapter 8 says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And you can imagine the anticipation of those on looking, those watching here. They, they're seeing the, the trumpets being raised. And they're anticipating and they're expecting what's about to happen, but there's really no way of, of us ever having any idea of, of the magnitude. So these trumpets are raised, and the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed a, a hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So trumpet number one brings destruction on the earth. Destruction on the earth. You see this first trumpet, it's, it's the first of the outpouring of God's wrath on the earth. This first trumpet is, is accompanied by a mixture of hail and fire and, and blood is mixed in. And, and some people would say this is a reference to the plague number six on Egypt. And this hail fell and it killed people. And so they would say that the blood that's, that John's seeing is actually uh, on, on, the, on the, down, the downside. It's actually when it hits. Others would say this is a, massive volcanoes around the world. Super volcanoes that are exploding. And, and it's not really hail. It's more like ash and fire that's just, that's just going all over the world. Either way, the, the outcome is the same, that a third of the grass is burned up and a third of the trees are burned up. Now, if you can imagine the normal lifestyle that we live, you look out a window, you expect to see a tree or some grass. But if you can imagine one third of the trees and one third of the grass worldwide, gone. In an instant. You can imagine the destruction that, that that would cause our world, that it would cause our earth. You know, there's been a lot of scientific studies done by people a lot smarter than me that talk about the deforestation around the world. They're cutting down trees to build stuff or, or whatever it is, and, and I'm neither, neither for or against. I am not talking about any of that right now, but what I am talking about is the, the reality that trees are being cut down. There's a lot of study and a lot of scientific fact about the amount of oxygen that each of those trees cuts out of the world. And apparently if you get to a certain amount of trees that have been cut down, the oxygen capacity of the, the world greatly diminishes, which is not good for those who breathe oxygen. Like you and me. And everything else. So you can imagine the destruction that is caused if a third of the trees and a third of the grass is gone in an instant. But that's just the beginning because it's just the first of seven trumpets. So the first trumpet, although it may be bad, don't worry, it, it's going to get worse. It's going to get a whole lot worse. Trumpet number two is in verse eight. The second trumpet the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. 
And so the second trumpet blows and, and what John calls a fiery mountain falls from the sky and lands into the sea. And maybe, maybe not, but maybe we can say that this fiery mountain is a meteor falling from the sky on fire. And as it hits the water, it causes one third of the sea to be filled with blood, one third of the creatures in the sea to be killed, and one third of the ships on the earth being destroyed. Now you can make an argument that because the creatures in the sea die, that's why the blood. But either way, that's the outcome. And just for a moment, if, if you begin to understand or begin to try to wrap your mind around what this looks like, a third of the sea creatures on the earth, gone. Allie and I were watching this thing on National Geographic called Hostile Planet. And it's really interesting, but it is hostile. There are so many ridiculous things in the world. Animals, fish, I know fish are animals, but just in general, there is some crazy stuff going on that we don't even know the half of. A third of all the sea creatures that we don't even know how many exist are done. That's profound to me. So trumpet number two is going to bring this devastation in the sea. And the amount of carnage from this meteor hitting the sea would, would be rather disgusting. And you've ever been on a sea or on the boat and you float over one single dead fish. You know how pungent that smell is. Imagine one third of the sea creatures on the earth smelling like that. It's not a place you want to be. I read, I'm just going to read this because it just blows my mind, but there are 4,617 near-Earth asteroids that have so far been cataloged. 4,600 have so far been cataloged. Some have predictable orbits, while others do flybys. Can you imagine a meteor or an asteroid doing a flyby of the Earth? Over 1,000 of them are considered to be larger than one half or a half mile in diameter. That's a 1 in 10,000% chance that Earth could be struck by one of them. So much for the friendly skies. If an asteroid of 600 feet in width were to strike the mid-Atlantic, it would produce a tidal wave 600 feet high. And the heat from a rock this size would literally boil the fish. The seismic waves would kill even more, and the tidal wave would sink every ship in the Atlantic. I mean, that's a, that's a massive piece of rock. But that's what John sees, a mountain, something like a fiery mountain flying into the sea. And it's just getting started. Because trumpet number three brings another set of circumstances. Trumpet number three in verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet. And a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on, the, on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of this star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had become bitter. So trumpet number three is going to bring a defilement of water. The defilement of water. So all the, the fresh water, the rivers, the springs, the, 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 the fresh water that we drink, the things that are very important to us as well as oxygen, uh, there are, a third of them are going to be contaminated or defiled. Unable to drink. Not good for us because they've become 
bitter. And there's some speculation about what this star means or, or what this star is exactly. And some people would say that it's, that it's the opposite of when Christ was born, God put a star in the sky. And the opposite of Christ is the Antichrist. And so when the, this is God signaling the Antichrist with a falling star. Now, maybe, maybe not. There's another group of people who think that this is more like a missile. But because John had no clue what missiles were, he didn't know what it was called, so he called it a falling star. But in our context, for our terms, with our modern technology and modern warfare, a missile makes sense. I mean, think about this for a moment. This may be just a weird coincidence, or maybe not. Did you know that the Russian word Chernobyl, you know Chernobyl? The Russian word, that, that Russian Chernobyl means wormwood. Did you know that? So the, the Bible is telling us that it's going to be named wormwood, and it's, it's going to turn the water bitter. Now think about this just for a second. The, the radioactive chemicals that were a result of what happened in Chernobyl got into the water and it made the water bitter. Unable to drink, not good, radioactive. Now think about just for a minute, if what happened at Chernobyl was to come down from a, a nuclear-sized missile or, or atomic-sized missile, it hits the ground, it explodes, and that radioactive ash and, and chemical and just explosive smoke gets up into the atmosphere. And then it makes its way along the, the, the sky in the wind. And then suddenly a rainstorm hits. And suddenly that, 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 that cloud of ash and, and chemical is, is interacting with this water that then falls down to the earth. And then you know how water works. Water goes down into other waters. And suddenly we've got a, a pretty big contamination issue on our hands. And so you could see a little bit of how this is, would, would be relatively possible. And so John is, is watching this and he's like, oh, that is crazy. And in our context, when we think about it, that, that's pretty possible. And so when we look here, the, the third trumpet brings us defilement of water. And there's a, a strong sense in which, how much worse could it get? Our trees are gone. Our sea is gone, and now we can't drink the water. But we're only halfway through the trumpets. Because God's wrath is being poured out on what it deserves to be poured out on, sin. And so we're going to pick up in the, the fourth trumpet is going to cause another shift in the atmosphere. And the fourth trumpet in verse 12 says, The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So there's this, this weird shift that happens, that all these different cosmic activities begin to happen, and, and the days are, are darker, and the nights are even darker, and the stars are gone, and, and the sun's not shining as bright, and the moon's not shining as bright. And you begin to look around and wonder what exactly is going on. But this disruption in the cosmos is, is not only part of God's judgment about what the earth deserves, but it's also maybe just one more warning. 
one more, there's more. Because in addition to this fourth trumpet, there comes a, a, a verbal warning in verse 13. It says, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets, the three angels are about to blow. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. See, it's about to get a lot worse. We're only halfway through and it's about to get worse. I don't know about you, but what we've seen tonight is a massive amount of destruction and judgment being poured out by a, a just God. And the punishment that's being poured out is just punishment. It's deserved. It's not unfair, it's fair. Because that's God's character, that's who God is, and that's what sin deserves. But no matter how bad it gets for you and I, no matter, or no matter how bad it gets in general for you and I, we can have some assurance. We can have some faith, some trust. That here's your point for home, that, that ultimately God is in control. And in the end, God wins. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad it seems, God is in control. And in the end, God wins. Because I don't know about you, but as bad as what we've seen from just the first three are, I certainly don't want to be around for those, let alone what's about to come. But there's, there's some good news because we, uh, we don't have to be here. There's a story of a, a father and his little daughter, and they were walking through the prairie. And as they're walking through this prairie, uh, it's a, a, you know, really wide, the grass is all matted down, it's dry, it hasn't rained in a while. As they're walking through this prairie, uh, off in the distance, the father and his little daughter, they see a, a fire, they see some smoke. And they recognize that this fire is, is coming. The wind's blowing towards them, the fire is, is just eating up all this dry grass in front of them. It is making its way towards them. And realizing that it's un, they're unable to outrun this fire, they're unable to escape the, the path of the fire because it's, it's, it's engulfing them, the dad, quick on his feet, lights a fire at their feet. And he begins to stoke it and he gets it going and suddenly he's got a fire circling them and it's moving out. And as the fire makes its way in, the little girl looks up at her dad and says, Dad, the fire is getting closer, what are we going to do? And the dad looks at her and says, don't worry, honey. That fire ain't coming to us. Because where we stand, we're behind the burn. And if you recognize this story, if you understand this story, once it's been burned, it's not going to come back. And so when we look at the destruction and the fire that's coming, when we look here in Revelation, the fire, it's on its way. Our only escape from the fire that's inevitably coming towards us is to stand on a burned spot where the fire has already been. And some 2,000 years ago, Christ died on a cross and took on the flames and the, the wrath of God for sin on our behalf. And the only way to escape the fire that is inevitably going to engulf us is to stand on the already burned spot of Christ. 
by putting our faith and our trust in him. We are safe for time, we are safe for eternity from the flames of hell and from God's judgment against us if we stand on the already burned spot of Christ. And tonight, friend, if that's you, if, if you're worried about the fire coming in, if you're worried about what's coming after you, tonight is the night. There's not been a better time than tonight to stand firm on the already burned spot of Christ. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day and God bless.